huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hey, Interwebs. It is a Wednesday, 9.29 p.m. on the Eastern Standard Time. and It is time for the Monkey's Fighting Robots podcast. I'm a day late and dollar short. I apologize. Do not get food poisoning. That is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to wish upon your enemy. And I do not wish that upon anyone. Well, maybe one person like Donald Trump. Like he can get food poisoning all the time. Oh, man. Uh, I'm Matt Sardo, Monkeys Fighting Robots. Podcast time. Whew. Still recovering from New York Comic Con. Lots of good stuff. Our beat reporter, friend, colleague, Roger Riddell, was up there and he spoke with the showrunner of. Daredevil for season three, Eric Olson. He did a round table, and that is going to be uh, the bulk of the interview today for you guys. I'm very excited about that. I actually got to see the first six episodes of Daredevil season three. And after watching the first episode, you immediately, immediately understand why Iron Fist got canceled because it is horrible compared to Daredevil. Daredevil is so good. The fight scenes are so good. Just the the character development is so good. Um, you know, the cinematography, the dialogue, the scripts, the setting, where he is, the type of character. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say like, I really like Iron Fist. I like him a lot. <clears throat> oh, man, I got I to gotta adjust my seat here. I don't know what's going on. I almost fell down. Um, but I really like Iron Fist as a character. I thought, I thought that uh, Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction reinvented the character. Even though it only lasted for like 23 issues, but like it was a great character. He's a great character. And there's tons that you can do with him. Um, I understand that he, since he was, when he was created, it's, you know, there's, he's ripped off of kind of like, I don't know, he ripped off of a Batman slash Iron Man slash Doctor Strange. I don't know if you're ripped off of Doctor Strange, but I mean, like he's a mashup of like three characters because he's like the rich playboy, parents got killed special training, you know, Kung Fu master. I mean, the Kung Fu was late sixties, early seventies. I mean, that was, that was the shit. Um, but man, it's, it's kind of disappointed that Iron Fist got canceled because I felt like it was trying to find its way. But I guess if you're forking out the money, like Netflix is, you're like, listen, you really need to find your way. Series one and then series two, where hopefully we just hit the ball running. It's hit the ground running, not hit the ball running. I don't know. Can you, you can hit the ball running. I mean, it's something you can do. Ah, today's episode is sponsored by water. Lots and lots of water. That's what this episode is sponsored by. Whew. <clears throat> Man, I lost 24 hours of my life. Just don't get sick, people. Don't get sick. Whew. Like, because two weeks ago with the, with the twins and Alice, like, the whole family got sick and we got wiped out for a week and a half. Finally recover. I go to Ferg's on Sunday to watch the Bears destroy the Dolphins. And they don't destroy the Dolphins. They shit the bed. And um, and then I was like, okay, we're going to hit this week hard. We're going to do it well. And I was like, 
I watched The Rookie, which is really good, um, which I liked. It got bashed by Deadline, so I guess you watch it and you tell me what you think it is. I mean, it definitely, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's millennial versus Gen X, but like it is definitely more for Gen X than it is for millennial, I think. I don't know, there's millennial characters in it. But The Rookie, give it a shot. Nathan Fillion, our Gen X Moses, I think that he's going to lead us to the promised land one of these days. Could be. I don't know. Um, and I was like writing my review and then like 1230 hits and I was like, shit, I don't feel good. And then three o'clock hits food poisoning. And, uh, you know, I had a few blue moons that night leading up to it. I'm not going to be drinking blue moon for like another five years now. There's still like four left in the fridge and they are going to sit there for a very long time. And then the next 24 hours was destroyed. Uh, I didn't read comic books yet. I didn't read comic books yet. It's 9.33 on a Wednesday. And I have yet to read comic books. But I was like, I'm going to get this podcast up by new, by midnight on Wednesday because I want to get you a podcast every Wednesday. That's my goal. Preferably Tuesday night. But I want you to get a podcast every Wednesday. That is the Matt Sardo non-food poisoning guarantee. Uh, and especially since we have these laid out and I have a few interviews that are already in the bag waiting for you guys. I just want, you know, I should just be like teeing up some comic books, teeing up some reviews and then, uh, you know, it's, it's all yours. But going back to Daredevil, the first six episodes are just brilliant. I mean, everybody knows that they're introducing Bullseye in the series. So I don't want to ruin it for you when I say Bullseye, but like, just so you know that like they've already announced that Bullseye is going to be in it. So if you don't want spoilers, you know, I would kind of like walk away now. But like my review is sitting on Monkey Spider Robots right now and I break down each episode and I kind of like break it down by director because I think they're the cinematography and the way the different episodes were laid out, like it's just primo what they did. I mean, it's just such a drastic change from Iron Fist and Luke Cage. And uh, I mean, I think Iron Fist and Luke Cage will do really well if they're together. They just put those two guys together. And I think you'll have like a really good like yin and yang where you can actually have like some really, really solid social commentary and write some amazing dialogue between those two guys. All right, time for our water break. So my hopes is that there isn't a Luke Cage season three. Well, there has to be now because the way they wrote the story, I don't know. They could just be leaving shit everywhere now. And then there's like, whatever, you know, we'll just go to free form or, if Disney's doing whatever Disney does, and then I'll be like, God oh, damn it, I don't want to spend more money. It's going to be rough. But Daredevil is broken when you get to the first episode, and it is brilliant. You know, it, it, the first couple frames, I think, I think the first, I don't want to say first frames, but I want to say the first five minutes is ripped straight out of a comic. Like, I've seen so many superheroes in the same pose that Daredevil is in the beginning of the book, the beginning of the episode. And it is just awesome. And then our hero is broken and nobody likes it better than like when a hero has to rise up from the broken ashes and, you know, kick some butt, you know, but it's Daredevil. So he's going to get like, I feel like Daredevil has it worse than Spider-Man. Spider-Man is like, it's like, Hey, I'm happy go lucky, but my whole entire world's going to suck, but I'm going to continue to be happy go lucky. Do 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 Spider-Man. Woo. But, like, Peter Parker really does have some depressing shit going on in his life. Um, but then, like, as happy-go-lucky as Spider-Man is, they're like, yeah, yeah, Daredevil is not going to get that at all. We're going to put Catholic guilt on him, and we're going to do the whole religious thing, and it's just going to be epic for epic tales said, or epic tales sake. Whew. 
And, and man, this is where we are in the solid meat and potatoes of Catholic guilt with episode with season three. And it is just, it grabs a hold of me, man. Like it gets, it gets me good. Love it so much. And, uh, it's just, it would, you know, and then there's a, the fight choreography. I hate to compare it to Iron Fist because Iron Fist is supposed to be a Kung Fu master, but Iron Fist fucking sucks at fighting. He's just horrible. But like Daredevil, like, He's got so he's got the boxing side that they kicked in for season three where I'm like, oh man, this is what I want to see. You know? Battle and Jack. Battle and Jack Madrock. And then you got Matt, like a little boxer. Oh man, it's just it's so good. And watching him box and watching him like maneuver through it. Um and I, I, I think that episode four tops the hallway fight scene from season one. Episode four has a battle in there, uh, where he has to where Matt Murdock has to battle his way out of a tough situation in a prison and the way it's filmed and what they put him through. I'm like, Oh my God, this is one of the best episodes of television I've watched. It reminded me, it totally reminded me of true detective when, um, not Matt Douglas, Matthew Broderick, Matthew Damon, Matt Damon, Johnny Damon, Matthew McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey battles his way out of the, out of the hood in that one episode of season one. And it's just a, a gun blazing awesome time. <clears throat> and that's what, that's what this reminds me of. It was, it was so good. And it just, Oh, it got me super excited for, for everything that's going to come after that. And episode four just peaked. And then episode five, no episode six, episode six, episode five takes a super downer. Like go turn it. It's like, Hey, we were at full, full we were at 11 episode four we're gonna take it down to like a solid six but it's it's a great episode it's almost like a stage play episode five and then i don't even remember episode no episode four so yeah four is insane five is stage play six is the last episode i saw and they're like hey remember how much fun you had in episode four we're gonna have twice as much fun in episode six and i was like holy shit you can't do this to me this is gonna be hard this is this is gonna be brutal you can't just Heart attack, you know, I'm taking some baby aspirin. Uh, I got the defibrillators ready. Like, it's just like heart attack on a platter, episode six. It is just, oh, it is. It's, as my editor in chief couldn't stand when I said it in the live video, it is muy, muy bonita. That would be very pretty uh, <laughs> for those who don't understand my Spanish. Um, but no, it is, it's, it's cinematically. And cinematography is beautiful and pretty and, and six. Uh, and I think the dialogue is spot on, but it is, it is, it is gut wrenchingly like in your face, like no holds bar. Like, Oh look, this is an R rated show I'm watching. And I just remembered that at the last second. Cause it is, it is insane. It is a bloodbath. Like I was, I was really worried. I am. I'm still worried. I'm really worried about a few main characters not making it out of this season because it's, it's, they're just the way they're building up people. I'm like, no, you're, you're, this is, this is, this is foreshadowing. It's like reverse foreshadowing. Oh man. But we got the showrunner of Daredevil, uh, Eric Olson on, uh, he sat in a round table interview with Roger Riddell, Monkey Spider Robots and a, a few other, few other compatriots of, uh, the pop culture journalism world and uh, I think some com uh, comics first reporter was in there as well um, but she he shed some light on uh, season three which comes out this Friday 
uh, I'd recommend binging it. I know that I am going to lay into that thing heavily on Friday being like, okay, people, I need to know what's going on stat. And I need that. I need closure and I need to know where I'm going, but I'm also going to be sad. I'm like, no, because they, you know, you get it, you know, watching a nine hour movie in one day, you're like, oh, that was a whole series. And you kind of feel like you should be like watching it for like three months. But no, you, you get it, you get it in one day and your brain's fried. And you're like, oh, I want another nine hour movie. Like, no, why aren't they making me another nine hour movie? God, Netflix, how come you can't microwave my films in 30 seconds or less? They got me spoiled. Um, oh, geez, Jesus Christ. I'm just losing it here. Losing it here, people. Um, no, but what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the conversation with Eric Olson, and I want you to watch Daredevil Season 3. Check out my review, you know, because it's, it's one long review, but I go episode by episode and highlight the directors and stuff and, and check it out and uh, give me your feedback on what you thought, uh, your response to us to Daredevil. And when you compare it to like Iron Fist, where you're going to cancel it right away. I mean, when the bar is set so high and then you get Iron Fist, you're like, oh, shit. Jesus Christ, people, what's going on? Uh, wow. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm Matt Tardo. This is Monkey Spider Robots. You know, we got an Instagram handle. We got some YouTube channel. We got a, a YouTube channel. We got a Twitter, uh, Facebook. We got that Facebook thing over there. I don't trust those Facebook people now. They used to be so good to me. In 2004, I think. Oh, man, they have so much of my data. Facebook has so much of my data. But uh, I want to I hear the conversation from you. So if you liked Iron Fist, tell me you liked Iron Fist. I mean, I want to love it. I want to love it. But if you love Daredevil, tell me you love Daredevil. If you don't like it, Daredevil. You know what's funny? I don't even talk about Vincent D'Onofrio at all. Even that movie. And, then, and he's in it all the time. You're like, oh, my God, it's Vincent D'Onofrio. Like, he's crazy. Like, he's crazier than me, I think. Uh he was the best part of that Magnificent Seven reboot. I don't even know what his character was. I just know he was like a he was like a human bear. It's just that can human bear who like I don't know, did he bite somebody's ear off? And I visually you could see him biting you could see him biting everybody. Like he should have been in that Quentin Tarantino movie. Like where that was that Western and like he should have eaten somebody or something like that. I don't know, but it was insane, my friend. Um how good Vincent D'Onofrio is as the kingpin because now he is, he owns that shit. Like he is the fucking kingpin. Whew. All right, I'm Lee. I've led up to this, this interview with uh, showrunner Eric Olson of Daredevil. Check it out. Listen to the questions. Give me some feedback. You know, give us some critiques, man. Tell us what you would have wanted us to ask in those in that roundtable interview. It starts off a little rough because everybody's shuffling their mics around, but it's it's a good interview. Uh, thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I thoroughly apologize that we are uh, 24 hours behind the schedule, but, you know, enjoy the interview. Enjoy Daredevil. Have a great weekend. I will be back next Wednesday. Monkey Spreading Robots, Matt Sardo. Love you guys. Uh, Ed Gross Geek Magazine. And, uh, nice to meet you, sir. Thank you. You too. I'm uh, Roger Riddell with uh, Monkey Spreading Robots. Awesome. Um, awesome. I'm Maise from Comicsverse. Okay. Cool. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Anthony Krug, I'm with the Oakland Press in Detroit. Oh, pleasure, sir. And you, sir. Do you want that pushed down? Oh, all right. And I'm Eric Olson. Oh, really? Pleasure to meet you.
Thanks for doing this. Um, sure. If I may, you. mind if I lead off, sure. gentlemen and lady? Okay, you know, um, in every comic book, it seems, with Daredevil, when a creative team leaves, it's a tradition to put him in a bad place. He's in jail. He's beaten within an inch of his life. I see you're doing that with uh, this show because when we see him at the end of The Defenders, he's beaten within an inch of his life and presumed dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously... Uh, there were events that I had to honor. And one of the things that I very much wanted to do was to tell an emotionally honest story. Uh, my approach to storytelling is very much to tell stories from the inside. Like, what is the character's inner life? And to take the audience into the shoes of the character and then uh, experience the story as opposed to watch it from the outside. Uh, that was something that Charlie Cox and I uh, and Jeff Loeb and I and everybody got very excited about at the beginning of the season was to, to kind of pick up the events uh, of the past season uh, and of Defenders and then be honest about where the story would go from there. So uh, we, we kick off the season with, with uh, Matt Murdock smashed emotionally, smashed physically and smashed uh, spiritually. So, uh, in terms of the pattern of things, um, uh, I, I, we, we start him off in that, in that very low point before uh, it, it, it moves on to greener pastures. So. Well, I was going to say, what is, it, what is his journey this season? I mean, you know, every season you think the character's yes, going to be right. on a journey, some sort of evolution. In your mind, I'm not asking story spoilers per se, but what is Matt's journey this year? Well, the guiding principle of the season was one that I actually put up on the writer's room wall, which was um, you can only be free when you confront your fears because your fears are what enslave you. Um, and it took us a while to kind of land on that, but that became the guiding principle for all of the storylines. Every character on this show this season is dealing with a fear of some kind, and that includes the so-called man without fear. Uh, who actually does have something that he's afraid of, even if he's not fully conscious of that. Um, and so um, Matt's emotional journey this season is to come to terms with something that he fears that he's not aware of. Uh, and that fuels a lot of his behavior uh, and has in past seasons as well. Well, it, it's funny because fear is such a universal thing in all of us. And I feel like a lot of us behave in the world um, in certain ways because of our fears. We may vote a certain way because of things that we fear. We might uh, uh, treat other people uh, in a certain way because of the way we, we fear. We may, we may take on um, life missions because we're afraid of something or we're afraid of failing someone or we're afraid that we're not worthy of love or we're like there, there's there's many different fears uh, and um, that when when you look at uh, kind of the the, the the ensemble of characters that we have um, that gave me a real touchstone for a, a thematic unity and and the ability to go deeper on stuff um, and um, Wilson Fisk is afraid of something too, you know. So, like, I, I believe that the villains of the world also act out of fear, even if they're a narcissistic, would-be tyrant who uses people's fears to turn them against one another and, and gain power. So, so that that is that is something that uh, I try to uh, weave into the into the narrative. Yeah. 
this is uh, kind of a villain-heavy season because obviously you, you bring back Wilson Fisk and you're telling the origin story of a new villain. So how does um, you know how how early was that laid out when you first started uh, when you were first approached for the job? Well, when I walked in the door, uh, Marvel had a number of ideas of what they thought season three might contain. They pitched me a lot of things. They said, it's your show, but here are some ideas we were thinking about. Certainly the return of, of Fisk was a major piece of the puzzle that they were, were very eager to, um, to use. And uh, similarly, they gave me the option of introducing this major villain from the Daredevil pantheon, but um, it wasn't like they didn't hand me the story or anything like that they're like here are some of the toys that you can play with if you want to and i of course being a fan of the show and of the comics said oh goody <laughs> you know kind of cackled evilly and i went away to my writing cave and i came back with a pitch for how i was going to structure the season and they got extremely excited about that and that's the show basically that you guys are all going to watch um uh I came up with, with kind of the structure and the bones of it all and then had a very talented team of writers helping me flesh it out. Uh, and, and Marvel was my partner every step of the way. So, um, But um, I, I would say that um, I, I wanted to treat Fisk like a spy master, um, somebody who was an um, operational thinker. And that's actually a term out of the intelligence community. And I grew up around that world. My father worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency, and I know a lot about real-life tradecraft and real-life uh, um, intelligence techniques. And I wanted to give Fisk that skill set so that when he came back, he wasn't just the criminal kingpin. He was somebody who was an expert at uh, manipulation. And... Uh, an expert at creating the conditions for certain things to happen around him without leaving his fingerprints on anything. Kind of that, it's, it's basically, in, in the IC they call it the dark arts. Uh, and, and I employ the dark arts a lot with, with Fisk. Now, that said, um, there needed to be a physical threat to Matt. It is Daredevil, and, and uh, uh, you know, we, we've seen you know, physical confrontations between uh, Fisk and Daredevil in the past, and I, you know, we wanted it to be something else. And uh, there was this opportunity to bring in this other major villain. Uh, I was extremely excited about it, but I gravitated towards an origin story for that villain. And uh, one of the things that I look at as, as good writing uh, is, is kind of deep-layered, emotionally honest writing. Um, I was aiming, when I said, I came in for my initial pitch, I said, I want to aim for season one of the show meets The Sopranos. And what I meant by that was, I didn't want to have any sidekick characters. I don't believe in sidekick characters. I believe that everybody is the hero of their own story. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to fully flesh out Karen. I wanted to fully flesh out Foggy. I wanted to make everybody so necessary to the ultimate climax of the season that if you pulled any one of those characters out, the whole thing would collapse. So that was my goal going in. And this is a show that's changed showrunners. Yes. Like, I think every season, right? Yeah. It's changed. What is, the, what is the virtue of that? Because, you know, usually when you get a show, you have a showrunner, and he try and kind of stays with the show right. and carries it right. through. So in your mind, what's the, what's the virtue of... of changing showrunners every season. Well, I think part of the part of the trick is in these long television seasons, right? And then long periods in between television seasons is working showrunners, working writers 
get other job offers. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to sit around for six months or eight months and not work while other opportunities are floating by and, and you're waiting for the show to come back. So I think part of that is driven by the new economic model of, of, of the way that it's all, it all comes down. Um, you know, what, what I can say is that um, I, I met on season one, I met with Drew Goddard to, to potentially come on the show and I've been kicking myself ever since that I didn't do that. Um, but, um, you know, I got this other bite at the apple and I leapt at it. And I, I wanted to look at season three kind of like it was my run of the comic, like in the way that Miller had his or Bendis had his or Kevin Smith had his. It was like I, I, I wanted to honor what came before and all of that is true and it has happened in the past of the show, but I very much wanted to say like, okay, I'm gonna make this one my tone, my own, and, and in the way that I want to tell it. Of course, partnering with Marvel, and they were incredibly supportive of the way that I approach storytelling, bless you, and um, the way that uh, uh, that we ended up doing it. And they really, it was, it was kind of, they handed me the keys to the Ferrari and, and like let me just take it out and I kept checking over my shoulder to see if the state police were on my ass, but no, I kept I kept flooring it. Um, and I didn't wrap it around a telephone pole, so hopefully they'll, they'll let me do it again, you know? So. Uh, so one of the big topics of conversation leading up to this season has been that it would be uh, kind of influenced to an extent by the Born Again storyline. Uh, but when you're working with source material of any type like that, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges for you in adapting that to this format, uh, either in terms of tone or with even elements of source material that might not work as well today culturally as it worked back then? Right. Very good question. Um, season three is an original story which draws upon a number of the comic runs. It's not just one or the other. Um, the, 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 the goal is to give comic book fans what they want, but not in the way they expect it. Um, I also had to honor the version, for instance, of who Karen is on the show, not the version of Karen, uh, you know, the drug addicted, you know, like a very different version of, of Karen Page in the comics. Um, and so it's its own animal. Um, it's its own, as Jeff would say, Jeff Loeb would say, it's its own art form. Um, that said, we are all geeks and we are all looking for the opportunities to honor the comics and, and give homages to the comics. So um, if you are not necessarily a comic fan, you'll watch the show and hopefully you'll think, this is just awesome. Like, but if you are a fan of the comics and have memorized every panel, you're going to be like, oh my God, they used that panel from blah, blah, blah. And, oh, that's straight out of that other panel. Oh my God, your head will pop off. So, so there are a lot of hidden Easter eggs um, for, for fans, um, which hopefully will, will tickle their fan funny bone. Um, um, and if your grandmother who isn't, is watching and saying, this show is too violent, um, and, but actually gets through it, um, she'll be like, oh, okay, that was an awesome show. <laughs> like, whether or not she's ever read a comic book in her life. So speaking of Karen, we saw her explore her own distinct art of Punisher, which was pretty exciting yes. to hear. Well, we find her in the beginning of season three. A building has fallen on Matt. He hasn't been seen or heard from in some time, and, and Foggy's convinced that he's dead. Uh, Karen knows rationally that he's dead, 
but she feels in her bones like he might still be out there. Um, she just has this sixth sense about the fact that Matt may may still be alive, um, and yet is 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 dealing with that. That said, um, Foggy and Karen both will discover in the first few episodes that that Fisk is getting out, and um, determine that they need to do something to stop him on their own without Matt, because they don't believe Matt or Daredevil still exist. Um, and so um, that kind of kicks off um, their own very strong moves, their own storylines, which uh, uh, play a, a major role in, in the season. Like, I really wanted to have a season, like I said, where had Foggy not done what Foggy does, had Karen not done what Karen does, the story would have turned out very, very differently. They're not just there as a sounding board or a sidekick. I don't believe in that kind of storytelling. Um, Eric, just very... So, I'm so sorry. Is there any water or anything? Yeah. Could we get two of them? He's dying over here, and I'd love to have one, too. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very yeah. sorry for that. Like, no deaths at the junket. Ed's allergic to me. That's, yeah, that's right. Thanks. It's a sinus infection. It's just um, where'd you go to college, Eric? Just oh, it's NYU Film School. NYU. Okay. And yeah, Damon Lindelof and I were college uh, no roommates or, or, or classmates, not roommates. And you're from New York originally? No, I grew up in Northern Virginia. My dad was working either at the Pentagon or at Langley for most of my childhood, so I was a Fairfax County kid. Okay. And now, join Wally and Leslie and Dow Warren. Warren. Yeah. I always confuse the two, are joining the cast. Can you talk about them joining the cast and the characters? Well, Joanne plays the role of Sister Maggie, um, Sister so, Maggie Grace, uh, who, if you are, well, if you're a fan of the comics, you know where that is going. Um, I am not saying who she is or is not. Uh, she is a hard scrabble, uh, Hell's Kitchen, born and bred nun, mm -hmm. um, and Joanne just kicks ass in the role. She's got such gravitas. She's Love she's she yeah, me too. I was like, wait, I get to work with. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there we go. It, it was that. Yes, I was a big fan of Willow too. Although they told me don't mention Willow, and I was like, okay, I don't know why. I love Willow. So she met her now ex-husband down at I guess. Uh, all right, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it, it's uh, she she brings um, a moral compass, a spiritual compass, and. Um, her own um, secrets and and fears to the season. Uh, again, word again. Yeah, I I want every character on the show to be fleshed out. Um, that that's what I admire about all my favorite TV shows. Like, name one like underbaked character on The Sopranos or on on you know. I will list all the competition because I'll get in trouble for that. And <laughs> Leslie, uh, Leslie and Warren. Um, is an Oscar winner. She's fantastic. I don't want to spoil the it's role okay. that she plays, um, yeah. but uh, um, it was very exciting when we, we, we got her to come in, and, and uh, she has a, a very moving um, and emotionally rich story. Um, and I don't want to spoil who she interacts with, but uh, um, we were, we were, Jeff Loeb and I were like, Seriously, we can get Leslie. Moore. All right, done. So I think I think people will uh, will really dig what she's in. Sweet. There's uh, the, the season is paced. I've seen six episodes, and it's it's very deliberately paced, and it kind of has that crime show feel that you keep, <clears throat> keep mentioning the, the Sopranos. But you break the tension with 
two really exceptional, spectacular action sequences. Um, how involved were you as a showrunner in, in kind of crafting those? Because they are, they're next level even by this show's fight history. Wow, can I frame that in my office and put that on my office wall as a quote? <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, thank you. Um, well, I have my finger in every single pot, I guess, is, is the best. As showrunner, I'm, I'm intimately involved in every single decision on the show. Oh, thanks, man. Um, um, credit where credit was due. Um, the, uh, there was a whole team of people um, involved in every single one of them. But let me back up for a second. Um, the hallway fight in season one was an amazing piece of work. And uh, every season of Daredevil has aspired to kind of, uh, to, to, to one-up it, I, I should say. Uh, as Charlie Cox would say, the, 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 the stairwell sequence in season two was more of an homage to the hallway fight. Um, but in this season, our goal was to actually go far beyond what that hallway fight was. Um, and I'm not sure about my spoiler. Can we talk about I'm the hallway? I'm holding anything spoilery I'm going to hold until after release. So, yeah, for now, actually. Okay. So, um, so, sorry, man. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, my brain just blown across the line. It's like, it's like, it's over. My yeah, I am sitting over a pit of Marvel spikes. So, um, we, we, we had ambitions to, to do something really spectacular this season. And, um, one of the directors, the stunt team, uh, proposed an insanely ambitious sequence, which required me to essentially tell the crew to stop filming so that they could rehearse an entire day on the clock just to be able to pull off a sequence, which anybody who knows television production and the costs associated with it, it was a, an insanely ambitious idea. And there were no guarantees that it would work, but it did. And it did spectacularly. And it was, it is honestly the sequence I am most proud of in my entire career after doing more than a dozen television series. Um, Charlie Cox will tell you it was probably the most rewarding action sequence he has ever experienced in his career. Um, it was something truly spectacular involving every member of the crew having to be in complete sync for a one-shot action sequence that has no hidden cuts. There are no hidden cuts in it. It is a true oneer, um, And that's something I really want everybody to know. There were moments inside of it where we built in safety hinges, like darkened spaces where I could have hidden an editorial cut if I wanted to or done a VFX to stitch two different takes together. We didn't. The fact that the crew pulled it off um, was, it was important to me. Even in post-production, I went in and I lightened the, 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 the darkened portions so that the audience could see and appreciate that I never actually hit a cut in there. And so it is something that hopefully people will be talking about. Um, 
the truth of the matter is to go back to your original question of how involved was I, I was very involved, but it's a team. Like running a show is, it, it's basically you are the prime minister of a very uh, strong-willed cabinet of, of ministers, all of whom have opinions. Yes, you get the final vote, um, but I, I like show running by, uh, by t the team approach as opposed to the dictatorial approach. And what that allows me to do is get the best out of everybody on the cast and the crew. And everybody looks forward to going to work as opposed to feeling like they're grumbling going to work. Um, and as a result, I think we all had a terrific amount of fun this season. Everybody's in extremely high spirits and we all have ownership of the season. We all feel like we brought our best work to the show and that's what made it so good. If you guys agree. <laughs> that's how we feel. So hopefully you will too. This is a show you would like to stick around for. I mean, if you have the opportunity, yes, you want to come back again as showrunner. Yes, break the break the record. And yeah, yeah, uh, yes, yes. I, I can't talk about that officially, but yes. Sean's like already standing up. He's like he's like pacing. He's like. Let me talk for one more question, guys. Um, unless I can defer to you because I don't want to dominate this. Okay. Um, oh boy. So. Can you talk a little bit about your father? You said that you grew up around a lot of spy trade. Uh, just he works for DOD. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so, well, so my dad uh, was Peter C. Olson, and he just wrote a book which is on Amazon. He and Robert Gates, the former director of the Central Intelligence Agency and Secretary of Defense, have a book out. It's it's called. Guide to the Studies of Intelligence. My dad edited it. It's, it's basically how the intelligence community works. Um, my dad spent all of my childhood in and around um, DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, CIA, the Department of Defense. He became a professor of intelligence at the University of Maryland. Like that, that has been his whole thing. And of course, growing up around that, I um, ended up learning quite a lot and making a lot of friends in, 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 in that business. I had the opportunity to go that direction, but I got bit by the Hollywood bug too early on in my life. And so instead of being a, uh, a dark arts warrior on the front lines of, uh, of our country, I'm a Hollywood uh, uh, cream puff writing television. <laughs> uh, what a great closing. Tonight on News 4 at 5. Nothing beats a long hot shower in the winter, but how long do you take? 10 minutes. 20 minutes. If there's music, maybe 30. Heating water is so expensive, so I'll show you four ways to slash your energy bill. Saving you money this winter. Consumer reporter Susan Hogan is working for you. Tonight on News 4 at 5 with Wendy Rieger, Jim Hanley, and Chief Meteorologist Doug Kammerer. Getting you up to speed the minute you get home with the day's top stories and changing weather conditions. Working for you on NBC 4 at 5. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.